Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. There, there, there you go. All right. Now you're a part of the journey. You're, you're officially a part of the Habakkuk journey. Um, and, and you're not too late. We're just in chapter two. So I know we've been going a while, but I'm just I'm just giving a lot of time for everybody to get on board. You know, it's like people that, that go live on Facebook. And they're like, I'm just going to wait for everybody to hop on. I'm going to wait for everybody to hop on, you know, and it's like, I'm already on. Why are we waiting? I don't understand this. Like, come on, let's go. Like, say what you got to say. Mm, do what you got to. Anyway, you like so I'm just I'm just spending some time for all of you to hop on. Um, and we're going to camp out uh, on Habakkuk chapter two, verse four. So we can put that up on the screen. I've been reading this the past like two or three weeks. I don't know. Um, but it's really huge. This is a massive scripture. And so I believe God has so much more for us in this verse. And I want to continue um, preaching from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. God says, uh, consider the proud, right? He says, he says look at the proud. Um, and see, I, I think the word proud means their mind, the ones whose minds or heads are swollen. He says, look at the ones who are so full of themselves, the proud. And he says their soul is not upright within them. But then God drops a bombshell on Habakkuk, and he says, but the just shall live by faith. Hopefully you already have that memorized because they didn't get it on screen, so it's good. But the just shall live by faith. Those six words, those six words changed, I mean, shifted, announced a massive shift in the, in the historical revelation of God's commitment and covenant to mankind. I mean, those six words are huge. They weren't only huge for Habakkuk. They weren't only mind-blowing for Habakkuk because um, God was doing stuff in Habakkuk's day, but they were also um, consistently, historically, they, they echoed down hundreds and hundreds of years down into the New Testament so that the New Testament writers, the early church, found that statement, those six words, to be one of the, the most foundational core statements uh, in the book uh, last week. We preached from it last week. And today I want to turn to the book of Galatians. And I believe they will have that passage there for you. And we're just going to read uh, from Galatians chapter 3. I'm in the New King James Version. Uh, and I'm going to start at verse 11. And we're going to read where this verse is found yet again in the New Testament. It says, But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. And this is the evidence for that. The quote, for the just shall live by faith. Now, the writer of Galatians, Paul, is, is making, he's making a, a correlation here to the shift that happened in Habakkuk's day. So he says that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Well, why would you think that someone would be justified by the law? You might say, 2,000 years later. Thank you for asking that. I'm so glad you asked. Um, here's why. Because the very next verse, he, he quotes from uh, the book of Leviticus. He says, yet the law is not of faith, but, in quotation, the man who does them shall live by them. That is a direct quote from God himself. When God gave the law on Mount Sinai, he says, whoever keeps the law shall live by the law. In other words... There's a reason why people think that they could be justified by the law, mainly because God said they could. 
Specifically, though, if you want to get really technical, God said they would live by the law, not exactly be justified. So God said, whoever does them, he delivered the law to them. That's the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. That's also the couple of hundred other commandments about what you can touch and what you can taste and what you can't touch. And on certain days, how far you can travel and when you can't travel and what you should do if your donkey falls into a ditch. I mean, a lot of other laws God handed down to his people. And he says, whoever does them will live by them. So this is a, this is a command that, that, that God's people had been living by for a thousand years, get this, a thousand years before Habakkuk was written, roughly a thousand years, the law was given. And God said, whoever does them will live by them. But now God is announcing a shift. He's dropping a bombshell on all of creation when he says, but the just shall live by faith. He's, 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 he's changing, he's shifting the way in which the just shall Live And so I, I want to scroll down a little bit, and I really want to zero in on this shift, on this change. Uh, and if we scroll down to verse uh, 21, it says, Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin. In other words, the scripture has told us that all have sinned. The scripture has confined all under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Verse 23, but before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law kept for the faith which would afterwards be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be, there it is again, justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Uh, verse 26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. I love that. I want to end my reading Right there, and I want to start walking through and unpacking this passage. If uh, last week I talked about how the just shall live by faith, honestly, we spent all of our time in Romans, uh, where really the book, the bulk of the book, is primarily centered around this question of how does one become just? Who is the just, and how does one become just? Okay, it happens through faith by submitting ourselves, putting ourselves on the altar. And through faith, believing that God can do something for us that we can't do for ourselves. And so last week was really focused on those two words, the just. Today I want to focus on the next two words, shall live. Because there's a certain way in which the just shall live. And that's what the writer of Galatians, that's what Paul is getting to in the book of Galatians. He's saying that there's a shift in the way that we used to live in the way now that we are going to live. There was a way to live under the law, and there is now a way to live by faith. For the just shall live by faith. Now, now, as I was thinking about this, I realized that, uh, that many of us here, I don't think any of us, maybe one of us, has some experience with the law. When I say the law, I mean the Mosaic law. I mean the feast days. I mean the Sabbaths. I mean uh, keeping protocol and only eating kosher meat. <laughs> Most of us... Uh, have not lived that way or have we even considered living that way? 
And so the question is, well, how does, how does, how does this passage apply to me? If I have never been under the law, if I've never felt obligated to fulfill the law. And so what I want to do is I want to walk back over this passage and show how this does, in fact, apply to us. And going down to verse 23 of Galatians chapter 3, he says, but before the law came, and you don't have to put this on the screen, that's all right. He says, but before the law came, we were kept under guard by the law. Now, that word guard uh, is the same word as kept, actually. So it's, it's kept under a keeper is actually the word. And it's the same word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 when he's talking about, he says, the governor of Damascus had set a guard around the city in order to, to arrest Paul. So it's the same word. It's, it's this idea. See, we think of a guard as somebody who's like out on the outside of a jail cell with his board the jail cell, and he's guarding it, making sure nobody gets in. But this particular guard is actually different. This is the kind of guard that the governor of Damascus put over the city of Damascus in order to find and arrest Paul. So this guard isn't facing out. This guard is facing in. Stick with me. There's real significance to it because this guard is looking at the city. This guard is roaming around the city looking for a suspect. And this is this. I don't care if you've grown up under the law or not, but we've all grown up. We've all grown up with a with a guard constantly walking around our lives looking for something that is suspect. We've all grown up with either somebody who was somebody. It might have been your parents who were always looking for a fault, always looking for a wrong attitude, always looking for a mistake. And it, it, it might not even have been parents. It might have just been the culture that you grew up in. It might have been that church that you got mad at and left when you were younger. It might have been. I mean, we've all grown up. We, I, you may have not been under the law like Paul had been under the law, but we've all been under a guard. There, we've all experienced this, this, this analytical, overly uh, critical guard constantly moving around our lives, looking for any way in which we might possibly mess up. And that's what he's talking about. He said there, that, that's what the law was. The law was a guard. Sorry, cameraman, you might just need to zoom out a little bit because I'm bouncing around. Uh, the law was a guard. It was, it, was, it, was, it was hemming us in. It was watching every move that we were making, and it was criticizing. Sometimes the guard is not a person, and it's not even a culture. Sometimes the guard is within our own minds. Like we have, we have an idea of what the perfect person looks like or the perfect family looks like or the perfect marriage looks like, and we've never actually seen it because we didn't grow up with that, but we've seen other people. We've imagined their lives to be this particular way, and so then, then we watch our lives and we watch our relationships, and we're constantly comparing us to them, constantly looking for the suspect, constantly trying to figure out how we are less than, how we are undeserving, how we are unworthy, how we are broken. It's, a, it's, it's, not, it's not just a culture and it's not just a person. Sometimes it is within our own minds. And we start, and we start judging ourselves. One, one, one old-time preacher uh, uh, said it like this. He said the law was like a mirror. Although he was from Texas, so he said a mirror. The mirror. The law like a mirror. I didn't know what a mirror was. I had to go 
Look that up, and apparently it's not a, even a thing. So a mirror is is like the law. So 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 I got I got I, I got this out today because this is this, this 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 and this is probably not even the best kind of mirror. You know, this is probably this is a decent mirror, but I think the law is more like the kind of mirror that is in those fancy uh, uh, hotels. You know, you stay in the fancy hotels, and you the mirror is attached to the wall, and you swing it out, and you flip it over, and it's like it's like in, enhanced by ten times. You see all of your pores. You see all the dirt and all of your pores. And you're kind of like, oh, I got a couple of wrinkles cropping up there. And I need to pluck between my eyebrows again because that gets kind of get a unibrow going if I'm not careful. And, you know, it, it helps accentuate all the flaws. You look in a mirror to see what's wrong with you. If your hair is perfect, you don't need a mirror. <laughs> if your outfit is perfect and you know it works, you don't need a mirror. There's some days, you might not think it, but I actually look in a mirror and figure out, huh, is this, is this working or not? Is this flowing or not? Is this, a, you know, because you, you just sometimes you just got to check. There's other things you know that it works because it was on the floor and it was all bunched up together. So you'd wore it one time. To, okay, fine. Uh, anyway, like you just, you just know it works and so you put it on. But a mirror is, is, if, is, is when you're not sure if something works. It is to find the faults and the flaws for you to fix yourself up and make yourself look better. And that's what the law was for. The law was there to tell us who we were. The law was there to zoom in on our faults and on our problems. And, and you may not have been under the law of Moses, but you, you've been under the American law. I'll tell you that right now. You've been under the law of Texas. You've been under the law of religion. You've been under the law of your upbringing. You've been under the law of your own carnality, your own way of judging yourself. And so that no matter, every time you pick up the mirror, you find somebody who is unworthy. You see somebody who is, who is less than. You see somebody who is ugly. You see somebody who is is not who is not enough you see somebody who hasn't quite got it all together you're finding suspects all the time and Paul says look look we, we you guys were under that in Judaism but the rest of the world was also kept guard by this they were all condemned by this the entire world scripture he says has confined all to sin because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and so and so the law literally condemns everybody but Christ did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world, that the world through him might be saved. And so Paul says there's a shift. And even then, I believe even in the days of Habakkuk, there was a shift. God was shifting the way that man could relate to God. No longer, he says, he says no longer will this define whether or not you are right with God. And it's so hard when you've grown up and this is the definition it's so hard. It's so difficult. I, in, my, in, in my Bible college, I had a teacher who had grown up in a, in a particular denomination, I guess we'll say. And, and they're super strict. I mean, you couldn't wear, like, your own wedding ring. You couldn't wear a wedding ring. You couldn't make up. They couldn't, couldn't do anything. And, 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 and yet over time, she had started to, you know, read her Bible. And as she read the Bible, she found out that a lot of that stuff wasn't in there. And she found out that there was other things in there. For the just shall live by faith. For by faith. So it has nothing to do with what rings you're wearing or not wearing or how long your skirt is or anything. That's not what he's talking about. And so she began to realize that. And so she began to sort of wanting, she wanted to step out of that. But it was so difficult because her conscience was set to this temperature right here. And there's a particular way your hair is supposed to be. 
And there's a particular way your dress is supposed to look. And there's a particular way your makeup, if you wear it, should be. I mean, all of that stuff. And, and, and your conscience can actually get, get connected to a, a keeper that was not meant to be permanent. You know what I mean? And so, and so Paul is saying there's a shift happening here, and I'm, and I'm wanting to break you of this old way of, of seeing justification, of seeing righteousness, of seeing yourself, because you cannot be saved in this way. Uh, way back, 14, in 1483, Martin Luther was born. Not MLK, the one that MLK was named after. <laughs> Martin Luther, the reformer he was a Lutheran uh, no he was a he became he started Luther Lutheranism but he, be, he he was a monk uh, and he was studying scriptures and studying scriptures and studying scriptures and he was trying to be right with God and he was doing the best that he could he he literally he slept on a he, he, he refused comfort so he slept on a wooden slab because maybe if he's not indulging his flesh in comfort, That'll get him closer to God. So every night he's laying on the... I mean, you think you've been under a... <laughs> you, the, the law of Texas is nothing. I'll just tell you that right now. It's so cushy. You got a cushy law. He had a no-cushion law. And he's laying on a, on a, on a wooden slab every single night. And, and then to make it even worse, he wore uncomfortable clothing. Intentionally. So that it would sort of scratch at his skin and he wouldn't be able to sit and be comfortable. Finally, in uh, 1510, he went to Rome where he climbed up the, uh, what is it, Santa, Santa, oh, it's the word, it's a, it's a uh, Latin term for the 28 steps that go up to that, to that crucifix. And it's where the, the, the popes used to have their, their private little chapel. And the thing was, they said in those days that if you climbed up those steps on your bare knees and recited our father every step, that you could redeem a soul from purgatory. That's what you could do. And so he did that. He climbs up the steps. His knees are bloodied. He gets to the very top of it. And, and his quote is, who knows whether this is true. <laughs> he even tried beating himself with a, with a small whip. Whenever he would sin or do something wrong, he would, he would beat himself to make himself, because Paul said, I think Paul said something about, I beat my body into submission. And so he kind of took that out of context and, and just thought that he had to inflict pain to his own body. Until one day he was studying Galatians. <laughs> and he came across this passage, for the just shall live by baptism. No. For the just shall live by climbing up steps in your bare knees. For the just shall live, for that shall redeem people out of purgatory, right? No, for the just shall live by faith. And that's where he said, all these things I've been doing, I've been trying to add to something that I cannot add to. And Martin Luther went, took this truth and set Europe on fire and divided nations and blew up a religious institution that had such a heavy evil grip the same institution that was responsible for the spanish inquisition you know what i'm saying they had such a, a heavy evil grip using fear tactics and using works and using money that you could buy even indulgences and and martin luther just took this truth I'm telling you this truth and so i guess that leads you to my sermon title that was my intro 
My sermon title today, and you might want to just say this to somebody, you might want to type this in the comment section. Stop beating yourself up. <laughs> this is my sermon title. Stop beating yourself up. It is not godly. It is not of God. A spirit of condemnation is not the spirit of Christ. Stop beating yourself up for the just shall live not beat themselves up but shall live not feel guilty but shall live not not moan and weep and roll around and try to pay for their sins with their tears but the just shall live stop beating yourself up we we have such a way of grabbing a whip like Martin Luther and lashing ourselves every single time we make a mistake but the just shall live by faith not by suffering not by feeling bad not by somehow atoning for things the just shall live by faith and so my message to you today is stop beating yourself up stop cursing yourself in the mirror stop tearing yourself apart stop picking yourself apart last week i've talked about put yourself on the altar and the wonderful thing about putting yourself on the altar is you no longer can look at yourself this mirror has done more damage to your spirituality than any other of satan's tactics combined this is worse i think than sexual immorality this is worse i think than drunkenness this is worse because this doesn't just get your like okay so if you get addicted to drugs your body becomes addicted this addicts your conscience this corrupts your conscience and tell me what kind of rehab program do we have for that <laughs> we don't have one you have to stop beating yourself up you have to stop trying to be, it's oh, how quickly we become the judge. It's, oh man, we, it's so easy. We go from defendant to judge just like that. One minute we're pleading for the mercy of God. 30 seconds later, we are condemning the very person he just forgave. Stop beating yourself up. Stop. You are not the lawyer. You're not the prosecuting attorney. You are the defendant. Get in your little defendant chair. Sit down. Listen to your lawyer. You do have a lawyer. His name is Jesus. He is pleading your case. The Bible says he is next to the Father praying, interceding for you constantly. Stop beating yourself up. Stop convicting yourself when the judge hasn't even convicted you. Stop trying to throw in new evidence and new ways that maybe there was new angles and all that. No, the judge actually knows everything. <laughs> Long before you knew your motives, he knew your motives. And you just got to drop the mirror sometimes. You just got to get rid of it. You got to break the mirror. And it didn't even break, unfortunately. That would have been cool. But you gotta, you gotta, you gotta break the mirror. You gotta fire the keeper. You gotta fire the guard. Because there was a time for the guard. It was helpful for you for a time. It kept you alive. It brought you to this point. And actually, it helped you realize your need for Christ. Without a mirror, you wouldn't have a need for Christ because you'd walk around thinking you were perfect. So it's good that somebody pointed out your flaws. But once you saw that and once you meet Jesus, you have to stop beating yourself up. 
So put yourself on the altar. And when you get off the altar, put yourself back on the altar. When you get off the altar again, put yourself back on the altar. But don't spend two days beating yourself up before you get back. Trust me, the altar will do all the damage. Trust me, the altar will do all the damage. It'll burn up everything. It'll take out all self. Stop beating yourself up. It's time to fire the guard. It's time to get rid of this keeper. You don't need this keeper anymore. It's not helpful to you, which is why I think Paul extends the analogy. He says the law was a keeper, a guard, but then he extends it. He says the law was a tutor. Now, the word tutor there, regardless of what Pastor JT might how he might spell it the word tutor there <laughs> in the original language see, we think of a tutor as somebody like or at least i do as somebody who comes alongside you like when you're in college you're struggling with history class so you hire a tutor this tutor comes alongside you helps you understand what the teacher is teaching kind of helps you out but in in you know 2000 years ago the word this word doesn't that's not what it means this is not somebody who comes alongside you and helps you out. This is somebody that, uh, that, would, that would have been a slave of a very rich person. And if you were very wealthy, the one thing you want to make sure is that your sons, because daughters don't get the inheritance, sons carry on the name and usually the family business, you want to make sure your sons have every advantage in their education. So what they would do is they would hire a slave to come live at the house with their sons, kind of like Hollywood right now, uh, hire people, come live with their little, you know, one-year-old because they're too busy to spend time with them. And so I need you to basically parent him. I need you to get him ready for school. It's like pre-K, but like pre-pre-pre-pre-K. And so, and so this, this, this servant would, would move in, move into the house, basically act like a father to this child replacing the father who's too busy to be at home and he would he would walk with that child he would he would teach that child how to talk he would teach that child how to ride a bike if they had bikes back then i don't know he would like everything the, the kid wouldn't go outside without him this is helicopter parenting at a new level you know what i'm saying like he wouldn't go outside without him because this boy needs to be ready for school so 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 there was a time though when the tutor was no longer needed and that was when the boy would go off to school and so the tutor is able to teach you some good things for instance how to sit still right three-year-olds need that four-year-olds need that uh 35 year olds need that you know what i'm saying like it's a valuable skill and if you're going to learn from the the actual teacher so the tutor says man I, my job is to get you ready to be able to sit in the classroom my job is not to teach you anything my job is to prepare you to sit in the classroom where you will learn everything and so his job was to parent the boy parent the child until the child was able to go to school and when the child was able to go to school he was then ready to receive from the teacher and that's what paul says paul says that's what the law was it was that thing that prepared you to sit in the classroom it couldn't actually teach you what you needed to learn but it could tell you how to sit still it could it could do something to your heart that when you see yourself you recognize i need a savior I need a deliverer. I need something more than myself. Cool, you're in the classroom. Now, the law can't 
be that savior and the law can't even teach you anything more than that it leads you to the front door of the school and it opens the door for you and you go into the classroom and the teacher is Christ and his primary subject is faith in all of life you never graduate from the school of faith because you never stop needing to live by faith so, so all of life, you, 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 you go from glory to glory, you go from level to level, you go from domestic faith to wild faith. Come on, somebody. You, there's, there's different levels of faith. There's, uh, you know, there's math, and then there's algebra, and then there's all the stuff that I never learned. And so, you know, like this, it's the different levels. That's all I'm saying. There's levels. And, 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 so, and so the levels of faith, though, are all coming from our teacher who is Jesus. And he is teaching us how to live by faith. And so what Paul is saying is, man, once you're in the classroom, don't step out of the classroom to go ask the guy who taught you how to, how to pee on the toilet. Like, he doesn't know the stuff this guy is teaching you. So don't, don't go back to uh, your babysitter once you have your teacher, stick with your teacher because this guy's already taught you everything you need to know. He's already showed you, shown you who you are. He's already shown you that you need a Savior, and that's it. That's all he can show you. And so leave him and move on. And the way that Paul says is, I, I, I think it's so, so good. He says, he says uh, uh, in Scripture, oh, it, it zoomed up. Hold on. Let's come down to verse 22. Scripture is confined all under sin, but the promise by faith in Christ that uh, might be given to those who believe, verse 23, but before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for faith. Kept for faith. Now, that's my new King James. Actually, in the King James, it says, shut up to faith. And I was like, what's that? Um, because actually, that's closer to the, to the real translation. Uh, I was listening to, um, I don't know if you guys have ever listened to Vernon McGee. He was a preacher back in like the mid-1900s, uh, 1950s, 60s kind of thing. Um, he's old school. I don't even think he's alive anymore, but there are recordings of him, and I like to listen to him sometimes. His, his, his accent is hilarious. It's a, it's a deep south. I think he's from Brownsville, Texas or something. I don't know, like somewhere where they don't speak English and they just they just talk Southern, and uh, but I, I, he he moved to Los Angeles <clears throat> uh, in the kind of mid mid century and he planted a church there and he was a pretty well known preacher pastor. I've read a lot of his stuff through the years. I'm not saying I totally agree with him in, in all of his theology, but I was listening to his sermon on this passage: "The just shall live by faith." And he said he said this, which really caught my attention. He said he said the whole world is shut up to the cross. He says, God has shut up the world to the cross. And I thought, he told the world to shut up? <laughs> this is not how I talk. I don't know what he's talking about. And so then I was reading this, and it says that, he was, that, that we were kept for faith. And I'm like, what does it mean to be kept for faith? What is that? I don't understand. And so then I was reading the King James Version where it says we were shut up to faith for salvation that's exactly how he says it salvation it's a seven syllable word anyway so we were shut up to faith what does shut up to faith mean well it means to be 
literally to be pulled together. And um, it, has, it has a visual, actually, which I thought might be kind of interesting. Um, uh, I was thinking about that this morning. So, babe, actually, if you could come up and help me, help me with the illustration, that would be, that would be pretty cool. Because we, can, um, we, can, we don't have to social distance because we're married. Mm, come on, somebody. It gets you out from under the air conditioner. Is it, is it cold out there? We can turn off. You can turn one off. You want to turn that one off? That one's blowing on you. Who do, we, who do we like more, you or those guys? That's what, that's what, that's what I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> I don't care. Go ahead and turn one off. If it's, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable. Um, <laughs> you do have a big woolly jacket. Like, what the heck? This is a winter time around here. <clears throat> okay, so it means shut up. And so the idea, and, and, and it's a picture word. A lot of Greek words are. The picture is a bunch of fish being caught in a net. And so that's why I need an, another person to be able to demonstrate this because it's multiple fish. You are clearly a different fish than me. Much better looking fish. Beautiful fish. Okay, so you'll be, you'll be a salmon. We haven't talked about this at all. I don't know what you're going to. So, but can you like act out a salmon somehow? Like you're going this way. Hey, that, that's... that's <laughs> That's pretty good. She's done children's church before, so that works. I'm gonna copy you. I'm just this is this is I'm a I'm a I'm a goldfish. I'm a goldfish. Come on, somebody. I'm smaller? No, I'm a big goldfish. I'm one of those really, really big. Don't insult me. You're a big goldfish. You're those little little salmons. Those sexy little salmons going along there. I'm a this big old goldfish, alright? So I'm gonna <laughs> So because goldfish go with the stream. Oh, come on, somebody. That's what I'm talking about. This is, this is humanity right here. We go with the flow. Where the, the current's taking us, that's where we're going. But salmon go upstream. They just kind of fight. The, they're weird. So your faith, you're, you'll, you'll, you'll be the faith salmon. The wild, the wild salmon faith. Exactly. The bears, the bees. Anyway. So, yeah, so you'll be faith because you're beautiful, good, you're kind you're gracious i'm trying to make up for stuff and i think no no um so you'll be you'll be salmon you'll be you'll be beautiful faith and you're going this way i'm obviously going on so how about you start over there and um so this is just, just, just so you get the idea all right so um oh i just thought of a dave matthews song i don't think i'll quote that um so just so you get the idea we got some <laughs> big old fish swimming in the sea and uh, so we're kind of we're kind of going our different ways. We're, there's, she has nothing in common with me. I have nothing in common with her. I'm not in her school. She's not in my school. We're we're in completely. Uh, she's from Mars. I'm from Venus or whatever. However that works. And we're just from different planets. Okay. We're swimming along in the and we just happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Okay. And so underneath us, we don't know this because we're fish. Um, underneath us is this net. It's like a drag net. And the, these fishermen, they're way up there. Like, this is emo style. Is it emo? Nemo. Emo, that's the other one. <clears throat> Come on, somebody. This is... <laughs> no, this is Nemo. Uh, and so, yeah, the, the fish, the boat's up there. So he starts pulling at the net, right? And we're, we're still wanting to go our separate ways. But the problem is, suddenly I'm getting stuck, you know? 
and you're over there getting stuck. I'm over here getting stuck, and uh, the net is coming up around us, and so I'm now getting stuck. But I, I can't go where I want to go. You can't go where you want to go. We're both stuck. And what happens is as they pull the net up, we start kind of going like this together, and we, we, get, we, get, we get smooshed in together. In the, same, in the same net. And that's the word that Paul uses here. He says we were, we, were, we were caught up with faith. So so God, like God knew that these goldfish people were never going to connect with faith because faith just is way out of the goldfish's league. Come on, somebody. And faith is like going this direction and goldfish is going that direction. And God knew that, that it went so God has to trick them into getting together. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, and God has to trick them into getting. And so the way he does it is he uses the law. The law is the net. He pulls the net to hem, or hem you in, block, he quarantines you. Come on, 2020 language. He quarantines you with faith. Some of you stuck in your living rooms. You didn't know that you're not the only thing stuck in your living room. There's also the faith of God in your living room right now. He never quarantines you by yourself. Because that's not helpful. Instead, he he cuts you off from all your usual stuff because he wants to he wants to quarantine you. He wants to connect you with this, with this, with this, this right here, with this faith right here. And and and, and that's what God was doing. God was in, in 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 Habakkuk's day. And maybe as I preach, maybe you should go down just in case somebody comes in at that part of the sermon. They're like, what's going on at that church? Uh, in in. In Habakkuk's day, God was hemming in. God had been hemming in the people through the law. But for a thousand years, the people were fighting against the law. And that's what happens when you don't let the mirror do happens when you don't let the law do its work. You never get hemmed into faith. And so now God is saying, all right, now I'm really going to pull this net in. I'm going to end the law. I'm going to take you away from your temple. I'm going to take you away from your priests. I'm going to take you away. I'm going to take you captive from the land. You can no longer kill this turtle dove or that to, to offer this sacrifice or this one or that one. I'm removing the law from you because I am now going to push you together with faith. I'm taking you to a land where you can't rely on the law anymore. And I think God has done that for a lot of us in quarantining. As one guy once said recently, he said, when you can't, he was talking about old age, a lot of things. He says, when you can no longer do what you always used to do, you have to do what is only most important. You get, you get shut up to a certain thing. Can I tell you the, the world is shut up? As Vernon McGee says, shut up to a cross. God has shut up the world. God has hemmed in the world to a cross. In other words, he, he Vernon McGee uh, was talking about, he says, uh, he says, you know, I, I pastor down in Los Angeles and and people are always telling me, you know, why don't you preach about this? And why don't you preach about that? And why don't you call out the... Father, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm listening. Speak for your servant is listening. Uh, I didn't know if like somebody left their horn on or something. I wasn't sure. Uh, okay, it's just, just, just let me know that that I should be on to my second point. Good. Okay, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do it. He said. Uh, he said what? He said. He said. He said. Why don't we? Why Why don't you call out the Los Angeles Police Department? And. Uh, <clears throat> 
Vernon said, because, because I can't see where any of that's in the Bible. He said, God's not asking anything of the Los Angeles Police Department. <laughs> if he did, I don't think he'd get much anyway. <laughs> and it's true. I was listening to that. I was like, man, things haven't changed much in 70 years. Because now I'm getting emails. Why don't you speak out against that? Why don't you talk about... And it's interesting. And the reason I don't is because God doesn't want anything from America. God doesn't want America to do anything. God doesn't want our president to do anything. God doesn't want you in November to vote for anybody. That's, 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 that's workspace religion. This, this, that's the mirror. That's, that's holding up. Okay, now what's wrong with our country and how can we fix broken systems? God's not asking you to fix anything. Really, he's not. God doesn't want the police department. Thanks. God doesn't want the police department to, to do anything. God doesn't want America to do anything. God doesn't want you. He's not asking anybody to do anything. He has already done everything necessary at the cross. And he's shut up the world. To, he's hemmed us in to where we literally can't do anything. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And, and here, here we are in this net together. Here we are in this net together. You've tried it your own way. You've tried it, and it's just not working. God's not asking America to do anything. He's asking America to believe something. He's not asking the police department to do anything. He's asking the police department to, do, to believe in something. Until the one question God has for America and for you is, what will you do with my son? Until you answer that question, he's not talking. <clears throat> Until you answer that question, he's not, he has nothing to say to you because that is his answer. He has an answer to injustice. He has an answer to equality. And it is the cross. It is Jesus. It is faith. That is his answer. You say, well, that's not good enough. That's your problem. It's all that he's going to say both whether it's an injustice in Minneapolis or an injustice like something much bigger like the Jim Crow era or maybe it's the injustice of uh, Mao or Stalin or you know really really awful injustice or, or Hitler or maybe it's the injustice of the Spanish Inquisition or it's the Holy Land raids God has one answer to all human injustice and Satan is not okay with it and Satan's children are not content with it and it's amazing to me that preachers will have a thousand answers to these issues. But God only has one. The cross. He has the cross. Because when you stand, and this is what he says actually in, we don't have it on the screen, but in, in, in Galatians 3 verse 1, he says, Oh foolish Galatians, who, is, who has tricked you or bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus was clearly portrayed to you as crucified. This is his answer. God's answer to all inequality all human suffering, all human anger was not a message. It wasn't a text. It wasn't a word spoken. It was a visual. It was the perfect Son of God suffering in agony and torture and abuse until he bled out and suffocated at the same time. That is his answer. Because that answer actually speaks to every single victim. All victims lose their victimhood at the cross. Because what greater victim? Who among you is, was perfect? 
I mean, who here has never sinned? Who here has a perfect heart and you were just in it? You were totally innocent. Talk to me after church and I'll have you preach next week and every week after that because all of us have sinned. None of us are truly innocent. I know in our culture, women and children and minorities are generally considered innocent, but it's not true. None of us are innocent at the face of the cross. If you come, and I don't mean you read a story, I mean you look into the eyes of the one who was pierced for you. You see him. Where is your victimhood? Were you so awfully treated as that? The perfect one who never spoke one word out of line, never thought one malicious thing in his thought life at all, was betrayed by his friends and murdered by his enemies. All victims lose their victimization at the cross, and all villains can release their villainy at the cross. Because what have you done that's so bad? You could be Hitler, and you haven't done something as bad as crucify Jesus. And yet Jesus, the son of glory, the, the pure one, the only one. This is why it's kind of a dumb question when people ask me, like, why do bad things happen to good people? Bad things don't happen to good people. Bad things happened, past tense, to a good person. There was only one good person. And you know why bad things happen to that good person? Because of all of you bad people. <laughs> Myself included. There's none good. No, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. All like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned to our own way. And God laid on his son the iniquity of us all. When you stand at the cross, when you, when you gaze into the eyes of the one who is crucified for you, and you see, you see the ones who are crucifying him, and then he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What have you done that's so unforgivable? cheated on my test in high school. Come on, man. Come to the cross. Come. Come to the cross. Oh, I had a bad thought last week. Come to the cross. Stop with your, with your self-righteousness. Stop with your mirror. Stop with your judge and jury stuff and come to the cross. God has the world shut up. He's not going to talk to us about anything else until we accept the cross. Now, once we accept it, he's got a lot of things to say. <laughs> class of faith is a very long and beautiful course. But until you come to that place, he's got nothing to say to you. Because the, at the very door of this class is the blood of somebody who was crucified for you. And when we come before him, he has, he has so hemmed us in, he has so blocked us in. stop beating ourselves up we're we talking about the this this week i'm i'm and maybe it's just my personality but i'm just tired of i understand the secular world is doing their thing and they've always done their thing i'm tired of the church like stepping into this trendy i don't know what it is it's like it's like white shame but like Christian version, white guilt, you know, crying for stuff they didn't even do. I thought about doing it, though. I thought about it. Oh, man. I mean, for real, like, seriously, feeling bad and intercession are two different things. 
without everybody just weeping, feeling bad. And, and, and weeping is a thing. It absolutely, I'm a big Leonard Ravenhill fan. He was weeping when everybody else was laughing, okay? So I'm all about it. I, 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 I get it. And sometimes God will lay on your heart this great heaviness about, and it, it is for someone. It's a burden. I'm not knocking that. I'm concerned that we just have people that are just burdened all the time. I'm concerned that, that okay, yeah, God will lay that on your heart, but when was the last time God just laid joy on your heart? If you're not experiencing joy, unspeakable and full of glory, I wonder if you're like really hearing from God or if you're just hearing from God the stuff that agrees with your culture. Because right now it's so trendy to feel bad about thinking everything. And the, the, the best among us are the ones who admit their own faults the quickest. And I'm sorry, but that's just like, that's not... Scripture says you all are sons of God by faith. What are you, what are you moaning and crying about? Okay, so, 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 so you got mad at your kids this week. Repent. Let it go. You are sons of God. You are not that. You are not your sin. You are not your past. You are sons and daughters of God. God, like the living God. And by the way, sons, that word, that term son, I'm sorry, all you ladies, but son means like you are an heir of all that is Christ, an heir of all that is God's. He is going to pass all of this on to you. It's a privilege kind of thing. It's not a gender thing. It's a privilege. You stand in a greater, a place of greater privilege than any person of any skin color possibly could because there you have been brought to a table that you do not belong at. He prepares a table for me. He prepares. You don't prepare it. You and your little mirror, you don't build a table for people to come to. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And what's crazy is the one person who did belong at that table gave up his seat and became the meal so that I could pull up my chair. I'm getting a little deep, but he said, he said, here, this is my, this is my body. Eat all of it. This is my blood is poured out for you. Drink all of it. The table that he's prepared for me is filled with his own son's meat. Oh, what a cost. And we look at that and we say, well, you know, we probably need to feel bad for a while. No, one drop of his blood is worth more than a bucket of your tears. shut up the world to the cross and he won't let your tears get in the way of it he won't let your self-loathing get in the way of it which is really just self-righteousness but anyway it's it, 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 it's, 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 it's frustrating to me that every it seems like you know like the answer to anger like okay scripture does say that God's angry with the wicked every day you and I fall in that classification of wicked people these people he's so angry at. He came down, became one of us, walked in our shoes for 30 years, preached a message un unashamedly, was beaten and crucified for the people he's angry at. God's anger is not the same as human anger. It's 
obviously very different. Very different. He's angry with the wicked every day. You've only been angry at the wicked since June. So you got some, you got some keeping up, you got some catching up to do. You know what I'm saying? Come on, just because it got trendy? No. There's no room for virtue signaling in the kingdom of God because none of us have any virtue. Sure, we can call out sin in other people. But we so quickly run from the very sin that's inside of us. We're so oblivious to it. Where's the virtue? It's not there. It's The ground is level at the foot of the cross. It doesn't matter what your skin color is, what your background is, what your opportunities are, as equal or unequal as they may be. And I'm not saying that there doesn't need to be reform. I think there needs to be actual reform, you know, like the kind of stuff that like they pass in laws and things like that. Like, I think that would be wonderful. And I'll be happy to vote for that. And I'll be happy to move toward that. And I'll be happy to, cha- to champion that on. But in the church, God has, has hemmed in the world to the cross. And I don't have any other answer other than come to the cross of Christ. Because you and your sin are welcome there. You and your victim or your villain are welcome there. And when you come to him, you, you, you trade in this, this mirror. You lay down this mirror for his blood. There was a John Wesley. You guys maybe have heard about John Wesley. He's one of my heroes. Uh, in, 17, in 1738, John Wesley had come back to London from evangelizing uh, over here in America came to this country to save the American Indians. He was a preacher, he was a minister, and pretty quickly he got caught up in a, I don't know, a sort of sketchy love affair with a lady in Georgia. Details are kind of scant on it, except that he felt really bad and he left. And he went back uh, to England. And in his diary, he said, He said, the great John Wesley went to America to save the Indians. But who's going to save John Wesley? (laughs) That's the question, isn't it? You can feel bad for a long time, but then at some point you're going to say, wait a minute. Who's going to save me? Like, save me. Like, deliver me from this body of death. It says in Romans, who... Who's going to deliver me? And John Wesley reluctantly went to another meeting in another church service. It was a Quaker meeting. I think it was the uh, the followers of Fox. And uh, he didn't agree with Fox and his theology. But anyway, he went to the Quaker meeting. <laughs> and uh, there he heard the reading. There was a reading that they did uh, from Martin Luther, an introduction to the book of Romans, where he dealt with this passage, the just shall live by faith. And he said in his diary, he said, I felt, I felt I did trust in Christ, in Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. He said, I felt a strange warming in my heart. And he left that meeting. Instead of wallowing in shame and guilt, turned the world upside down. Him and his brother set America on fire with what would have, what would become Methodism. It's not what it is today. It's a whole other thing, but that's the thing. Like, shame and guilt just will lock you in such
such a jail cell that this keeper will keep walking around pointing out all your faults until you finally say, I trust in Christ alone. One old preacher said, he said, I want to I want to trust in Jesus so much that if I die and go to the judgment seat and I stand before him and he says, son, what are you doing here? He says, I, I want to say, well, I trusted you, that you were who you said you were, that you did what you said you did, and that I am who you said, of God, a son of God. And he said, you know, I, I might get to that judgment seat and Jesus might say, well, I mean, you did a lot of other good things too, right? You, president of a Bible seminary. And he said, I want to I want to tell him I, I, I never trusted in any of those things, though. I did a lot of good things, but I never trusted in those. He said, even if it goes so far as Jesus turns to me and says, well, I'm sorry, son, I can't do anything for you. He said, I want to, I want to be able to walk away in shame, knowing that I was completely lost because I brought nothing else. That's all I got. That's what true reliance on Christ is. A lot of us keep a spare tire in the back in case the tire of Jesus goes flat. We still got our church attendance. We still got that time I helped out at the pantry and some keep kids fed stuff. We still got some, and it's not that it's not bad to do those things, but to have some faith in those things. If, if you got to the judgment seat and found out that Jesus wasn't enough, Would you be in trouble or would you still think, ah, I think I might be all right. I got a few other things. Working the angles, hedging my bets. It's not until Jesus is sufficient for you that you will really understand who he is. The just shall live by faith alone. For we are made sons of God by faith. Plus baptism? No. Plus church attendance? No. It's a good attitude? No. We are made sons of God by faith. And if we're a son of God, what joy? <laughs> what, what circumstances is going to steal that from you? You had a bad week? Are you still a son of God? <laughs> this is beautiful. This is the gospel. The just shall live by faith. If you're watching this today, maybe you've never really trusted in Jesus give you the opportunity to do that and it's not a prayer but it is a decision maybe here in the room trusted in a lot of things but do you trust in Jesus alone really really aside from the mirror placing the mirror down the, the thing about a mirror is like thousands of years ago they didn't have nice mirrors like this they had polished uh, silver or something you didn't get a good idea of what you look like unless you ask somebody. So when you grew up under a tutor, the tutor would tell you what you look like. And then when you graduated to a teacher, the teacher would tell you what you look like. I guess I'm asking you to graduate to the teacher of Jesus. Step out of the tutor of Texas and politics and religion your own head and your parents and that church that you got offended at just come over come 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 to the cross 
sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a Jesus, we come before you. Even, even kneel before you. We have no virtue before you. We have no saving grace. We have no backup plan. It's either Christ or nothing. I either am a son of God through the blood of Jesus or I am nothing. All that I've done, my sin, I place at the foot of the cross. Every sin, the ones I don't want to forgive myself for, every sin I place at the foot of the cross. Every sin. Sometimes you actually have to think it through. You have to actually go through your memory and literally just in your mind take every one of those sins and hold it up to the the. The, the picture of the cross, is it worse than that? Would he, if God spared not his son, is he going to hold that against you? Lord, we place it all at the foot of the cross. Everything that we've ever done, everything that we've ever said, and not just in a blanket statement either. We, we list them out. We committed them one by one. We list them out sometimes. And not so that we feel bad, but so that we know that the blood of Jesus can cover, yes, that, yes, that, yes, that. And every single memory that comes up in our mind tonight when we lay down to bed, as soon as it pops up in our mind, we take it from our memory and we place it at the foot of the cross. And when it comes to our memory tomorrow and a different thing comes, comes into our mind, we take it from that place. This is not who we are. We place it at the foot of the cross. This has been redeemed. This has been purchased. This has been bought and paid for, not by my moaning and crying and feeling bad, but by the precious blood of Jesus. I don't have to beat myself up over this. Someone was beaten for me. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement that was meant to bring me peace was laid upon him. And by his stripes, I am currently healed by faith. I receive it. I place my sins at the foot of the cross. I also place all my good stuff, all the stuff I'm proud of. Place every victory at the foot of the cross. Every, every good sermon, every, every nice moment of anointing, I place it at the foot of the cross because it's not mine. And even, if, and even if there's a sense of identity wrapped up in it, the greatest joy of my life is that I am a son of God. I'm not a preacher. I'm a son of God. I'm not a father. I'm a son of God. I'm not a husband. I am a son of God. Mm. Place it all at the foot of the cross. Because Jesus is better than all that. Jesus is greater than all that. And this sonship is of greater value 
than anything I've learned and anything I've taught others and anything I've helped others and any healing that has come through and any miracle and anything that has happened as a result of my faith in Jesus, nothing is greater than the sonship that I am a son of God. Lord, let that realization, let that realization just flood your people today. I wonder, have, have you, has, has it ever just hit you? I think some people are really afraid of the second coming of Jesus because they literally are not sure if they are a son of God. But you can be sure. You can be sure today. You can receive the confirmation of the Holy Spirit if you simply put your faith in Jesus. If you simply place all of your sins at the foot of the cross and all of your righteousness at the foot of the cross, it all goes there and all, all you need is Jesus. And he is enough. Lord, I ask that you would reveal sonship to us. We get blocked by so many tutors. Silence every tutor in our life. And let us come before the teacher. Let's kneel before him and learn from him. For his yoke is easy, his burden is light. So yes, he has a burden for you, a very light one. So take it upon you. Receive it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm just feeling, feeling good <laughs> about a simple gospel. <laughs>